Thank you, Kat. That was very pretty, beautiful. Did you hear Karen Drecker in the middle? I did, yeah, it's just beautiful. Mm. Well, welcome, 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 welcome. Whether it is your first time here or your hundredth time here, I'm here, you're welcome. You're welcome. We honor all paths to God. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are certainly welcome here. For those of you that it is your first time here, we do have some new or some visitor packages. They're on the table over here. We've got a little bit of rearrangement today for the potluck. And so just take one of those envelopes home with you. You can read through it, see what's there, and uh, get to know us a little bit better. And uh, stay after, for sure, whether you brought a dish or you didn't bring a dish, everybody's welcome so please stay and and celebrate with us this uh end of our summer we're kind of sending off the summer a little bit late but you know we drew it out as long as we could and uh we're having our end of the summer barbecue so it is the last sunday of september already which is crazy to think uh, next week will be October, or tomorrow will be October, Monday will be October. We're doing 100 Years of Science of Mind, 2018 theme from home office, taking it to the street. And this month, we've changed it up a little bit. We've been doing Falling into Metaphysics. So what we've done each week in September is we've looked at a different New Thought classic book. And today we're talking about Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount, The Key to Success in Life. We started out with Florence Shin's The Game of Life, and then we went into um, Ernest Holmes, this thing called You, and the third week we looked at Eric Butterworth, the Discover the Power Within You. Last week we did Joel Goldsmith, Practicing the Presence, and today we're looking at Emmett Fox, and all five of these people are amazing uh, founding people in the New Thought Movement, and Emmett Fox is also one of those. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about him. He was a minister, author, teacher, and a mystic. His objective as a New Thought teacher has always been not to establish yet another religion, not to establish yet another set of religious doctrine, not to incur but to encourage individuals, whether they attend church or not, to develop their own creative power and to personally understand what God is and what God is all about and then to be able to relate that to their own lives. So just like the others we've studied this this month, not a one of them was looking to set up a new religion, right? They were wanting to bring forth the teachings of Jesus. They were wanting to bring forth metaphysics. They were wanting to bring forth the New Thought Movement. Emmett Fox was born in Ireland in 1886. And from the time of his late teens, he was attracted to New Thought. He attended London, the London meeting in which the International New Thought Alliance was organized in 1914. That's where he met Trump, Thomas Troward. So he did know Troward, and he met Troward in 1914 as a young man. He gave his first New Thought talk in London 14 years later in 1928. He moved to America. And in 1931, he became the pastor of the First Church of Divine Science in New York City. He was ordained a divine science minister by Nona Brooks, one of the founders of divine science. Now, I've talked before, we have this new thought umbrella of which we're under, Religious Science, Center for Spiritual Living, Unity, 
and divine science. Now, divine science is the smallest of the three, but it is still one of the three under our umbrella. So Emmett Fox was a uh, divine science minister, although we see a lot of his work come through unity, but he was a divine science uh, minister. His Sunday morning lectures at the Hippodrome Theater, the Manhattan Opera House, and eventually Carnegie Hall held over 5,000 people. He spoke to 5,000 people on a Sunday morning. He was quite popular. They say his meditations were powerful, and he never spoke more than 20 minutes. So I feel pretty good about that, you know? Sometimes I think my talks are too short, but, you know, he was a 20-minute guy, too. I like that. He spoke to and of God in the most personal, intimate terms. Over 600,000 copies of this book have been sold. 600,000 copies, that's a lot of copies. And in this book, he tells of a source of universal power. And in his words, this is what he says. This power is the real source of all things that exist. It needs only to flow into your being and transform itself into health, into true prosperity, into inspiration, and into anything else you may be needing. The power is there. It is present everywhere. It belongs to nobody in particular because it belongs to all. It is waiting at all times for men and women to call it into use, not merely in crisis, but in every problem, however small, every day of your life. The fact that most people do not suspect the existence of this power does not change the fact that it is there. That is uh, Dr. Emmett Fox. You know, this is an interesting tidbit about him, and then we'll get on to the rest of it. But, you know, within our New Thought organization, within religious science specifically, there's a lot of talk about New Thought and the 12-step movement. I don't know if you all have heard, uh, we've heard of that, I mean, talk about that. But there's a lot of inquiries. Did Bill Wilson and did Dr. Bob, the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, know these early New Thought people? Because if you look at the two texts, there's like lines that are exactly the same, right? And there's some people that say absolutely yes, they knew each other, people that said absolutely no, there's no connection, but we do know it was all going on at the same time. The books were published, the movements were being born at the same time. And here's a little interesting note, I thought. Fox's secretary was the mother of one of the early founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, Bill Wilson and uh, those early AA members attended Fox's lectures in New York City. And the Sermon on the Mount became a very popular book amongst the 12-step um, community. It was Alcoholics Anonymous at that time. And in the early days, they were given a copy of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and a copy of the Sermon on the Mount. So there you go. There is that connection that does exist there. So the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the best-known sections of the Bible. Most of us probably know it, have heard it, or heard bits and pieces of it. So uh, when John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus uh, fled or left Nazareth. He doesn't really fled. He just left. He left, and he uh, was headed towards Galilee. And as he traveled to Galilee, he started to do his healing work. He started to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. And his popularity grew, and he became more and more known as he went from town to town, and he traveled. And he got to the point of where there was a very, very large crowd gathered. And this is where the Sermon on the Mountain takes place. Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and as he sat down, his disciples drew near to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. 
So the Sermon on the Mount begins with the eight Beatitudes, and that is one of the chapters of this book. And so we're going to take just a look at it through a metaphysical interpretation. I always find it so interesting when we learn the metaphysical interpretation of any of the Bible stories. I go, oh, yes, that makes sense. Right? Because if we're talking about a God of love, a God of unconditional love, when we look at it through a metaphysical eyes, it just makes so much more sense, to me anyway. So let me share just a couple things with you. Emmett Fox, he reminds us when studying the Bible that a lot of the words that are used in the Bible don't mean what we think they mean which therefore makes it a little bit harder to study the Bible, doesn't it? The words have changed from the time they were used. They made sense to the people of that time. But to us, the words have changed, the meanings have changed, and so we want to take a look at it with new eyes. The first beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure many of you have heard that, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Emmett Fox says, he says, poor in spirit does not mean what we would call poor spirited today. Poor in spirit means to have emptied yourself of all desire to exercise personal self-will. To have renounced all preconceived opinions in the wholehearted search for God. It means to be willing to set aside your own views and prejudice. Right? There's a beautiful prayer that I love to do. It's called the set-aside prayer, and some of you may have heard of it. But it goes something like this. Uh, spirit, I set aside what I think that I know about fill in the blank. So in this case, Spirit, I set aside what I think that I know about you so that I may have a new experience, that I may have a new experience of you. Right? So you suspend what you think that you know, what you think that you know for sure. You've got to put that to the side and be willing to have some new information come into you. So that is, that's what this is talking about. Number two, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now that's a little bit like, what, what, what's that about mourning, right? What's that about mourning? Emmett Fox says, mourning or sorrow is not good in itself, because the will of God is that everyone should experience happiness and joyful success. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And this is where he switches it up. However, trouble and suffering can be extremely useful. Trouble and suffering can be extremely useful. Because most of us will not bother to learn the truth until we are driven to do so by some sorrow or failure. I mean, how many of us are really willing to go out and do the work when we're skipping through life happy, happy, happy? right? It's in those moments of the dark night of the soul. It's in those moments of sorrow. It's in those moments of failure. It's in those moments of pain that we're like, God, help me, right? Spirit, help me. I need something new here. I need something different. Pain and loss are great motivators. How many of us have heard of a friend that has been fired and they're devastated? It's the worst thing that they could imagine being fired from this job, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened in their life right? How many of us know somebody that has had the experience of cancer and has come through the other side and said it was the greatest gift they ever received? It's hard to imagine, but it's been true for many, many people. They reach the other side as a new being. They've been born new through this experience of pain that they've had. Emmett Fox, this is a quote from him, most people will not undertake the search of God wholeheartedly as a, unless driven thereto by trouble of some kind. There is really no need for man to have trouble 
Because if he will only seek God first, the trouble need never come. So it's that kind of thing that uh, pain is mandatory, suffering is not. Right? It's up to us how we're going to handle that thing that comes into our life, you know? They say that, you know, you get the little nudge, you get the little nudge, and you don't change, and you don't move, and you don't change, and you get the little nudge, and you may get a bigger nudge, and then you get the spiritual two-by-four over the head, right? We don't have to get to that place of the spiritual two-by-four if we pay attention to the little nudge. It's up to us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So this is one that Emmett Fogg says gives people a lot of trouble because why do we want to be meek? Like what's so spiritual or good about being like a meek little mouse and going through life in this like unempowered way? That seems to be contrary, right? And he says that many of us just overlook it because we don't understand it. But Emmett Fox points out, like we've talked about many times, either everything that Jesus said is true or it's not true. It's like either God is everything or God is nothing. You can't say, oh, well, this he meant, but that he didn't really mean, right? Either he meant it all or he didn't mean any of it. So Emmett says our problem is, is that, again, the definition of the word meek and earth are different than what it is that we think they are. Fox says, when you possess the spiritual meaning of this text, you have the secret of dominion, the secret of overcoming every kind of difficulty. It is literally the key of life. It is the Jesus Christ message reduced to a single line. I like that. Earth, he says, refers here to manifestation. Earth refers to all causation that in your business, your home, all your experiences are but the manifestation of your mental state. In other words, your earth means the whole of your outer experience. And to inherit the earth means to have dominion over your outer experience. To have power to bring your conditions of life into harmony and true success. So that makes a whole different, uh, it allows us to interpret it in a whole different way. I'm going to read his definition of meek because he says it well. I wasn't sure I could do it the same. Meek in the Bible is a mental attitude of which there is no other single word available. And it is this mental attitude which is the secret of success. It is a combination of open-mindedness faith in God, and the realization that the will of God for us is always something joyous and interesting and vital, and much better than anything we could have thought of for ourselves. This state of mind also includes a perfect willingness to allow the will of God to come about in whatever way divine wisdom considers to be best, rather than in some particular way that we've chosen for ourselves. We might restate it like this. Blessed are those that allow spirit to work through them, for they express all their affairs in divine harmony. Completely different feeling when we read it that way. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness means not only right conduct, but right thinking on all subjects in every department of life. The great truth that outside things are but the expression of our inner thought. He uses the word expressed or pressed out or outpicturing. We say outpicturing a lot. So the great law of the universe, however, is just this. That what you think in your mind, you will produce in your experience. As within, so without. 
as within, so without. You know, a point that Emmett Fox makes that was actually interesting to me, because I had never thought of it like this before. He says, we have no power over outer conditions. We have no power over conditions. We can't change conditions by going out and trying to fix it and trying to make it different. We can only change the outer by changing the inner. It's the only way we can do it. By changing our inner thoughts, by changing our inner beliefs, we therefore change the outer. Blessed are the merciful, for they should obtain mercy. He says this one actually means what it says. <laughs> right? But he does say that the thing that really matters is that you're merciful in your thoughts. You're merciful to yourself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, why Fox said the last one was summing up the whole of Jesus' message, he says this is summing up the whole of religion, this one beatitude. To see, in the sense referred to here, signifies spiritual perception. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Spiritual perception. Heaven lies all around, but because we are lacking in in spiritual perception, we are unable to recognize it. We are unable to experience. And here he says purity means recognizing God alone as the only real cause and the only real power. It has nothing to do with physical purity. Purity of spirit, purity of thought, purity of knowing that there is only the one, the one power and the one present. Blessed are they who recognize God as the only real cause and the only real presence and the only real power, not merely in a theoretical or formal way, but practically and specifically and wholeheartedly in all their thoughts, words, and actions. Now, how many of us put God first in every moment of every day? Right? To remember that what we look at, we're looking at the Spirit, it's so easy to get trapped into that world of conditions and to forget that we really are these spiritual beings having this human experience. To have purity, purity of uh, heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The peacemakers in this beatitude are those who make or bring about a true peace or serenity in their own mind. So it's not about going out and doing peaceful things or being part of the peace movement. It's about having peace within. It's about having a quiet mind. A quiet mind and a peaceful heart. He says some degree of serenity is essential to attain true concentration in prayer. Have you ever tried to pray when you're agitated, right? And your mind's going crazy. I mean, that's why we go to our practitioner, right? You pray for me, right? You pray for me. Of course, to be a peacemaker in the usual sense of composing the quarrels of other people is an excellent thing, Fox says, but as all practical people know, an excessively difficult role to fill, right? How many of us can go out and create peace? We can be peace. So the last one is this one. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Well, 
That doesn't sound too good at all, does it? Right? What is that about? Right? Emmett Fox says, in the view of what we know about the teaching of Jesus, this is a very startling statement. <laughs> yes, it is. Here we are told that it is blessed to be persecuted as a result of our right thinking, for that by this means we shall triumph, that it is cause for rejoicing and gladness to be reviled and accuses, and that the prophets and great illumined ones suffered these things too. Mm. He says, all this is very startling, and it is perfectly correct. Only we have to understand that the source of all this persecution is none other than our own selves. None other than our own selves. Mm. No outside persecutor but our own lower self. When we find righteousness or right thinking very difficult, when we are very strongly tempted to hold the wrong thoughts about some situation or some person or about ourself, to give way to fear, anger, or despondency, then we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And this is for us an extremely fortunate or blessed condition because it is in these moments that we are really advancing. Every spiritual mind treatment or scientific prayer, he says, is a tussle within ourself to overcome our lower self. Right? Every time we indulge in the five-step spiritual mind treatment, we are reminding ourselves of the truth of our being. That we are, in fact, a beautiful, perfect expression of the divine. That that which we're seeing, that which we're witnessing, is not the truth of us. Fox reminds us there's no virtue or advantage in being persecuted or annoyed by other people. If we are having trouble, it is only a sign of our own mentality needing cleaning up. You know, again, the principles of religious science, the principles of science of mind are interesting, I'll use that word, in that we're not really, it doesn't give any room to blame anybody else. It gives it no room to say they did it to me. Oh, I'm being persecuted by them. Oh my, oh my, oh my. No, it's taking a look at ourselves. How have we called that onto ourselves? What in our thinking has attracted us to that? Because if we're not a match for it, it won't come into our experience. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to always acknowledge that because it is easier sometimes to say it's your fault. If you would change, if you would do it different, then I'll be okay, right? And that's not the truth. Well, this overview has barely scratched the surface of this book. This is just one chapter of seven, the Beatitudes. He breaks things down. He takes a look at it. I find it very interesting and fascinating. I hope that you've enjoyed some of what we've done uh, these last few weeks, looking at these New Thought classics. I hope you've been introduced to some new teachers or some new books that you hadn't known about. I think uh, Bobby has brought all the books into the bookstore. I think they're all available today. So if there's any one that you thought, you know, I, I got to read more about that, stop in the bookstore and get it today you know but what I found the most significant about all the people that we studied and that we looked at over these uh, last five weeks is the level of healing and demonstration that they were doing in their lives and their ministries every one of them had a healing ministry every one of them became very well known because they were doing these amazing healings people were walking away changed mentally physically changed 
you know? And one of the things, and I've had several of you come up to me after the talks on Sunday and say, Reverend Debbie, we don't talk enough about the healings that are still going on now. We don't talk enough about the demonstrations that are happening now because we have them. We all know people by practicing the principles who have been healed, relationships that have come together, uh, families that have come together, physical healings that have taken place, people that have given jobs beyond their wildest dreams, people that have met their soulmate, the love of their life, right? And they're spending their life together. This happens on a daily basis. Right? One of the goals of the board and, and us here at the center is we're wanting to put up a place where we can all post our demonstrations so we can all see them. But we're going to start today. We're going to start today with somebody that's going to come up and talk to us about the demonstration in their life. And um, it's our own very beautiful young lady who has been with us uh, since before I got here. And uh, she's leaving today to go back to Alabama. And so we're going to miss her. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But at this time, I want to bring Casey up, and she's going to share with us the demonstrations that have occurred in her life. Are you good with Carmen, or you need me to? I don't know if Carmen will let me hold her. Hello, little Smith, little happy face. Come on up. Is it on, honey? Is it red on the bottom? There you go. Okay, this is Casey. Is the red light on, honey? There you go. You're on now. There you go, sweetie. We're good. Thank you, John. Now we're good. Oh, now we're great. good. <laughs> well, I'm so thrilled to be up here. And uh, I really, I fantasized about this moment during this day. I didn't really think that it would happen. But I was one of the ones who said something to Reverend Debbie about us not talking about demonstrations, but I didn't think she was going to give me the floor. <laughs> but either way, I'm grateful. Uh, I came here two and a half years ago for the first time, and the first day I came, they had a class afterwards taught by Denise, and I took that as a huge sign that I'd found the right place. I was so thrilled in that class, too, learning about the spiritual uh, symbol for the science of mind. And I think it was that day that a really big seed was planted deep in me. Um, since that day, I've came back and came back, and I will keep coming, if I could, here, but to any other spiritual center. I take things very literally, so all the things that Reverend Debbie is saying, you know, about you have to take your life on as a product of your mind, I really started thinking about that from the beginning. And it's really hard to not just put the blame out there. So I remember when I first came, there were things that I wanted, such as love and security. And now I can say that they've showed up, but not in the way that I expected mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> the love that I feel for my daughter and now for a lot of people that I meet is absolutely unbelievable. And I'm proud to say that I went through the hardest time 
so far in my life, a true dark night of the soul. And I brought back that security from within myself that I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, <laughs> I'm just so grateful to have been here to meet every single one of you. You know, another thing I always wanted was real true friends, and I have so many out here. Wow, it's unbelievable. Um, I'm going to miss you all, but uh, I've learned a lot here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a, one go for what I learned. I know that there is one presence, one God in each and every one of us in the air that we breathe. I know that I am that God, and I know that all of our paths cross for such wonderful reasons, and they will continue to cross, maybe not with me, but with someone else. And the only moment that matters is this one, this moment on the path right here. And I'm grateful, and so it is. Yes. Okay. Okay, I'm going to ask you to stay up here. You want to come in for a minute? Okay, I'm going to ask that we stay up here for a minute. We love both of you so much. It's, it's words can't even say. Yes, we do. We do. And so everybody wanted to send you with a hug. And let me see if I can get this here for you. And uh, Denise, you, here's a mic for you. And so we wanted to send uh, Casey and Carmen with something that they could wrap themselves in and get a big old hug from us always, wherever they are. So that we're doing. This is our hug for you. Or little Carmen can crawl around on it or do whatever. And I just love you. And we're going to give you a raise and praise. Denise is going to join so us. I'd like everybody to stand because we'd like to raise and praise Carmen and Casey and send them off in style when we'll say it three times and it goes like this. We praise you in the name of love. We praise you. We raise you in the name of love. We praise you. We raise you in the name of love. We praise you. We raise you in the name of love. Yes. We love you. Yes, we, we love you. We love, we love you. you. Yes. So they're going to come back and visit us someday. We love you. Stay and have food with us. Stay and play with us. It worked out perfectly. That potluck Sunday was on the day we could celebrate the two of you. We love you so much. Love you so much. Thank you so very much for being here. Yes, we still have more to go. We still have more to go. So at this time, I'm going to ask Kat and Larry to come up and sing or do a song for us.